Exodus chapter 33, I'll just take you back to that portion that we read a little earlier on. Exodus 33, we've entitled the message this morning, Talking to God. Talking to God. Let's just unite our heart together in a short word of prayer as we come to uh, this passage and to the preaching of God's word. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy blessings upon us. We thank the Lord we're able to meet in this fashion. Thank the Lord for the singing of the old hymns of Zion. And Lord, we've been singing about the mercy seat. And oh God, we thank the Lord for the access that we enjoy today, even to come before God in prayer. And we ask, Lord, that thou might be with us, Lord, as we come to this portion of Scripture. Give us understanding. Oh God, take away every distracting thought. Take away, Lord, the thoughts of later on or even this week. We pray, Lord, you close us in just for thyself. I would apply the word by thy spirit to each and every heart. Lord, to that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. And, oh, God, give us words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There's nothing that will compensate for the loss of the presence of God. Want you to understand that? The nation of Israel were beginning to realize it. For they heard that the Lord wasn't going to go up with them in the midst. Oh yes, God would give them the land of their inheritance. God is a covenant-keeping God. He doesn't break his word. He doesn't break his promises. He was going to give them the land, but he wouldn't be in their midst. He would send an angel instead Amongst them, lest he would consume them in the way. Why? Because of their sin. What follows here, men and women, is the mourning among the people. They were wakening up, if you like, to the curse of their sin and worshipping the golden calf. And doesn't it remind us, especially the young people, but also to adults as well, it reminds us that sin doesn't give us a lasting joy. That's what the world portrays. That's what the adverts portray. Oh, there's a jolliness and there's a laughter and there's a singing. But it doesn't last. In fact, the scriptures tell us that it only lasts for a, the pleasures of sin only last for a season. And then they're gone. The reality is that sin brings a mourning. It brings a sorrow that will last longer than any joy does. That's why, of course, this world is not a happy place. Because there's so much sin existing in it. If we want to have gladness in our hearts, then it is holiness to God, it is obedience to God's word. That's the key. For Israel, they had sinned. We're coming back to this study we started, commenced some time back, but left off at the start of the summer. And Israel now, they had sinned by worshipping the golden calf. And to start to obey the word of the Lord, the word that came through Moses in taking off their ornaments. Look at verse 4. When the people heard these evil tidings, the evil tidings that I've just commented on, that the Lord was no longer going to be in their midst, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments because 
That was the message that Moses had conveyed to them that God said, as you see in the words of verse 5, he conveyed this message, ye are a stiff-necked people, I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment, consume thee, therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. Ornaments glorify man. People put on ornaments to look more glorious. But a loss of glory is that which accompanies sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've missed God's mark. And they had nothing to glory in, in terms of their ornaments, in terms of putting them on, because they had sinned by uh, committing idolatry with the golden calf. And so they stripped themselves of their ornaments. Men and women, that lost glory is noted in other places in the Scriptures. I want just to spend a moment on this. We could think of Eli. Remember how his sons were both killed in battle because the Ark of the Covenant was taken as well. And Eli, he fell backward and died. And uh, there was the birth of that child. And the mother named him Ichabod. The glory of the Lord hath departed. But I want to take you to Ezekiel. You come with me to Ezekiel, because here, not least, is where the people, uh, sin of the people caused the glory of the Lord to depart. Do you look at Ezekiel chapter 9, and verse 3. I'm just going to give you a few wee verses here, and you'll see this. It says, Ezekiel, prophecy of Ezekiel, And the glory of the Lord of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by the side. So the, the, the glory of God, uh, that was indicated by e- even the glory at that time of the cherub, it now moves to the threshold. You look across at chapter 10, verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub, stood over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Look at verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. So it's moved again. God had to depart and he had to mount up upon the earth and eventually from the city to the edge of the mountain. Turn over to chapter 11, verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city. Men and women from the cherubim, the glory of the Lord moves to the threshold of the house. From the threshold of the house, it moves out in the city. And from the city, it moves to the east of the city, upon the mountain. It's a tragic thing when the glory of the Lord departs. It's a tragic thing if Ichabod would be written across the door of this congregation or this church with the better closing her. The glory of the Lord has departed. And sin causes that to happen even in churches, in institutions, in individuals. The glory of the Lord's not there anymore because of sin. And the response of Moses here is noted in the following verses. He's a man who sought to talk with God. That's what I've entitled the message. Talking with God. I want you to notice something. The removing of the tent. Now, you come to verse 7. It says, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp. Now, I've got to understand, and cause you to understand, that when we read about the tabernacle in verse 7 there, 
That's not the tabernacle which God instructed Moses about upon those first 40 days on the mount. Remember, we spent some time in our study back in June, maybe it was, considering some of the pieces of that tabernacle, that movable construction that was brought with the children of Israel right through the 40 years. That tabernacle was not yet constructed. Moses had only received the instruction about it, and so that is to take place at a later stage. This tabernacle, verse 7, can be thought upon as a tent. It's a word that is translated even in various places like that. It was a temporary place set up by Moses or for Moses so that he could meet with God. It was also a place where the people could go and the people could worship the Lord. It was like a tent that was set apart. But notice the symbolism in what Moses does here. There's nothing to state that this was a command that he received from the Lord. I suspect rather it is a spiritual discernment in his part. He took that tent, that tent that was pitched even in the midst of the camp, and he removes it without the camp, afar off from the camp. And the reason being that since God said that he would no longer to be in their midst, he was no longer to be in the camp, then Moses is going to leave the camp in order to speak with God. He's not going to stay in there. He's going to remove the tent outside the camp. The positioning of the tent outside the camp symbolically symbolized the judgment that had come upon Israel. The removing of the tent was a visual reminder of what God had said to them. His presence would no longer be going with them. It was a reminder of the consequences of their sin. And every day, every day as Israel saw that tent that Moses, he termed it the uh, tabernacle of a congregation, that's what he called it, when they saw it positioned afar off from them, then it reminded Israel of what they had done. It reminded them of how they had greatly sinned against God in fashioning the golden calf and worshipping it. The consequences of sin are to be seen wherever we look. And it is a blessing, men and women, to, in disguise to the sinner in particular, because those, those are reminders and those reminders can be good restraints for you sinning in the future. And if they're a means of keeping you from future sinning, then they're a good thing. And it's profitable, even though at times will be painful, have a reminder of, of, of sinning in the past. There's the consequences of it. I don't want to go down that road again. You think here of the separation of what Moses did. The moving of the tent didn't prevent men and women from seeking God. Didn't prevent them from worshipping God. It did, however, require them to go outside the camp in order to do so if they wanted to seek the Lord. That meant a very public stand on the part of those who sought the Lord. Verse 7, Moses took the tabernacle, pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out onto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. See how many times it's repeated there. It's without the camp now. It was something that was done openly. The people wanted to worship God. They had to get out of that camp and they had to go far off to that tent, that tabernacle of a congregation. 
That was a testimony in itself. It was breaking away from the idolatry that so many had given themselves to. Men and women, let's not be ashamed to take a public stand for God in these days. Christ did that. He took a public stand when he purchased our redemption on that middle cross because we know, of course, it was a main thoroughfare. People walked by wagging their heads at them. And he publicly purchased our redemption in all his nakedness, discarded of all his clothing before a mocking and a godless crowd. And if Christ purchased our redemption in that manner, then is it so much for us to take a public stand for Christ in these days? Amidst an unbelieving world, to go against the camp required a deep desire to worship God. Only they who sought the Lord would go outside that camp and to that tent. The reason why they were to leave Egypt in the first instance was to go out into the wilderness to worship. That's what Moses told Pharaoh. And that's why he told Pharaoh, I'm not leaving the children behind. I'm bringing everything with us. But you see, the actions of the Israelites at this mount and the golden calf showed that they didn't really want the desire to worship God. They hadn't got that desire. I asked the question, is our generation any different? Where many have the availability and many have the comforts to worship God in this house. And yet they have a passion to do other things instead. How many of our people today, they have no thought of coming to the house of God. This wee land that has been blessed by God through our generations. Yet there's many another thing in their mind. I'm going to do this, that and the other on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath, on Sunday they'll call it. On the weekend. True worship requires that we separate from unholy conduct and creeds. And that's what this tent provided for those who wanted to seek the Lord. There was an unholy conduct in the camp. There was an unholy creed within the camp, just as there is in many churches today. God doesn't expect the believer to stay in such places where his glory has departed from. Let me qualify what that means where the fundamentals of the faith are denied. The name with round collars on and they deny the virgin birth of Christ. They deny, even in the past, they have denied his bodily resurrection from from the tomb. Basic fundamentals. God doesn't expect the believer to stay in places where unholy conduct and behaviors are tolerated. And there's many that are throwing out the arms today to embrace same-sex marriages and all the rest of it. Where compromise is the manner of governance. Where the emphasis on other things apart from the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. In such places, you can be sure there will not be much spiritual food for your soul. God doesn't expect you to be in those places. You consider also the scorn that was attached to this removing of the tent. You see, if I can bring you to Hebrews. Hebrews brings before us this scene. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. It says, let us... 
go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Those who sought to worship the Lord in the camp of Israel at this time would have borne reproach as they left that camp and went out of that tent. No doubt there have been those that have scorned at them. The ungodly are not very tolerant when others leave the camp to worship elsewhere. When you break with the crowd, you will invite scorn and rebuke. I can put that across our young people in school. You break with the crowd. You break with their language and their behavior in the weekend. You, you will invite scorn and rebuke. That's why I've prayed and continue to do so. There are young people of good company in their high schools, universities. But even that is the case, young people and older. Even though you invite rebuke and scorn because you're a Christian, because you're a believer, because you happen to worship here or, or elsewhere, Remember this, that you have a greater compensation. A greater compensation that is revealed in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12, because it says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the camp, without the gate. Wherefore, let us go forth unto him without the camp, Bearing his reproach. There's the compensation. Christ is outside the camp. We're moving on to him. Where he is. What about tending the tent? Moses having moved the tent. With him going out to it. The testimony was clear to the people. They had a leader who desired to meet with God. They had a leader who desired to speak with God. He wasn't uh, taken up with idolatry. He wasn't flirting with it. He separated from uh, that and he desired to be where God was. And it's obvious in what follows. You'll notice the pillar, verse 9. Came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. The cloudy pillar, as on other occasions, represented the presence of God. When they left Egypt, the pillar went before them to lead the way. That same pillar became a pillar of fire by night, so that they were in the light. And we don't even have to leave the words of verse 9 to see that it meant the presence of God. You might say, well, what do you mean? Well, you look at verse 9 again at the end of it. In the authorized version, you'll notice it says that the Lord is in italics. That simply tells us that our translators are honest with us. And they have put the Lord, and it's Jehovah there, they have put those two words in so as we might read the verse more smoothly. But you could likewise take them out. You could likewise just read it like this. And stood at the door of the tabernacle. The cloudy pillar that is descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and talked with Moses. See? That tells us that the cloudy pillar was the very presence of God. And it shows that the pillar had truly left the camp. For it only appears when Moses takes that tent outside the camp in order to seek him. Does that not challenge us? Moses would rather have the presence of God than to stay in the camp of Israel. 
That's why he moved the tent out. Oh, that our lives would be lived in the continual presence of the Lord, where we sense his closeness, where we hear his voice to our hearts. His sheep hear his voice and follow him. You know, for the sheep to hear the shepherd, they've got to be close. Got to be nearby. And we're like sheep. We've got to be close to our shepherd if you're going to hear his voice. That word to your heart. If you're walking afar off, you'll not hear the word as you, as you ought. That very thought can be seen here as well. By the passionate, verse 7. Moses took the tabernacle, pitched it without the camp, far off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. It came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. It was those who sought the Lord who were found to go there, to that tent. They had a desire to meet with God. They knew where his presence was to be found. No longer in the midst of the camp, but in the tent outside the camp where Moses had pitched it, afar off. And they were assured of his presence, that they could see the pillar descend and stand stand at the very door of that tent. There was a gratefulness amongst them. There was a gladness that they could meet with God. And so they went out to that tent, and there they worshipped. And that in itself evidenced some repentance on the part of some of those Israelites. If we truly repent of our sin, then we'll seek to worship God, men and women. It just stands to reason. You remember the lame man that was healed at the, at the gate of the temple in Acts chapter 3. He got up when he was healed. He, he got up rejoicing, standing, leaping, praising God. What did he do? He went with Peter and John into the temple. He no longer stands outside with the crowds. He no longer stands and begs. He wants to go in where God's people are. He wants to worship God. It's the most natural thing for the believer. That ought to be our desire in our innermost being to please God rather than men. I wonder, do we have the same passion to worship the, God, worship the Lord come what may? Ignoring what others may think. When you leave the house of the Sabbath morning to come to this place, Sabbath evening, Thursday night, you see, there's that desire to meet with God. There's that yearning that I must be fed in my soul. There's that passion to worship in spirit as well as in in truth. Our motivation in doing so is our love for Christ. The one who loved us and gave himself for us. Because you'll also see here there's a problem. For I direct you to verse 10, I've already read with you verse 7, of those that sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 10, and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. There's a problem there. While there's a welcome change in attitude of many of the Israelites, in that we read that they worship, yet it is tainted, for they only worshipped at their tent doors. 
They hadn't enough passion. They hadn't enough determination to leave their tents and to go and assemble with others at that special tent of worship. Now outside the camp, now pitched afar off. The problem was these people were satisfied to worship at their own tent doors. They didn't have the passion to go all out for God. And we are surrounded by many of the same out today. The devil will try all the subtle means that he can to keep God's people from being all out for God. He'll try and keep you from being all out for him. I've said before, I'll say it again for those who are well able, and that's the qualification. Because men and women are people of God and our congregation are not able to be out anymore. And if God spares us, we might get there too someday. And that's why we ought to cherish when we're able to get out to the house of God to be able to do so. But for those that are well able, the watching of a service on the television screen is no substitute for assembling ourselves together with others of like precious faith. It's no substitute. And we have friends of of this congregation in England who will readily testify to that. You ask them the next time they're over, they would love to be here every Lord's Day. And it's my contention that sitting on a couch with a mug of coffee and flicking between church services does not constitute worship. We have lost ground, men and women. We have lost ground. We have done wrong as a denomination. I've said that before. We should never have closed the church doors during COVID. I stand to say that today. Not that we force anybody coming out to church, but the church doors should have been left open for those who did want to come. Because now we have a problem. And the problem is that people think that sitting on the couch watching the television service, that's, that's worship, that's enough. problem you see is really the heart there's not the passion to go all out for God and there were those of Israel and they just they saw the glory of the Lord the pillar come down they saw there's going out to worship at the tent but they just stood and worshipped at the tent door may we guard against that in these days I don't think we'll ever see what happened two years ago I don't think the people will be led by the nose just as easily the next time. You want to see the reports that are coming out now, men and women? And by the way, it's a personal thing. What do you think about COVID? It's a personal thing. What do you think about uh, the the, uh, injections? But I don't think people would just be led as easily the next time. I want you to notice just before we close this morning the communion at the tent. He says something special with the words of verse 11. And the Lord spake with Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. 
There's a sense there we can see Moses, as it were, having went out to that tent in order to meet with God. And the pillar comes down. It's indicating God's presence with them. There's somewhat of a penitence with the people there because they've now turned from worshipping the golden calf and they've turned to God again, albeit some of them haven't made it out to the tent. They just stand at the tent door. You consider the speaking, the Lord spake with Moses face to face. It instructs us of a free, of an intimate fellowship that there was between God and his servant Moses. And bear in mind, this was after Moses took that bold step to leave the camp, to remove the tent, to be in a far off. God rewarded his faithfulness. God rewarded his separation by revealing himself, by meeting with him. It's just like if you're talking to me face to face. Isn't that a lovely picture? And that's Moses talking with God. That's what prayer should be, you know. Just a friend talking with friend. It hardly needs saying that Moses here is a great type of Christ as mediator. I want you to show you this. Before Christ came to this earth, he could say the words of Proverbs 8 verse 30. What's that say? Well, just listen. Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. That's Christ and the Father. In his presence, always his delight. That's before he came in his incarnation. After his incarnation, we read of the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. John 1 and verse 18 no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Also John chapter 16 and verse 32. John 16 verse 32 says, Behold, your hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Of course, more than once, the Lord said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So you have a little verse, if you like, before Christ came down in his incarnation, your verses there, that he was with the Father, in the bosom of the Father. And now, of course, having finished the work of redemption, he is seated upon the Father's throne. That place of affection and intimacy... Revelation 3.21 To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. And Moses is a beautiful type of Christ as mediator there. We have one mediator today, men and women, the man Christ Jesus. It's through whom we come to the Father in prayer. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's not only the speaking, but there's the service For after speaking with God, we read that Moses turned again into the camp in verse 11. What a glorious practical truth is showed to us there, illustrated to us. Before we seek to serve the Lord, whether it's as a Sunday school teacher, preacher, housewife, whatever you are, then first of all, you must strive to seek with God. Seek God. Before any message can be spoken with others, we must meet with God face to face. And that's what Moses does. He meets with God face to face. And then he turns to go back into the camp. 
He's a service to do, you see. And the power for any service will only be found in maintaining that intimate fellowship with God. It is in such a man as Moses, who after speaking with God as a friend to a friend, he returns to serving the people, even though they had sinned. Moses isn't one who compromises the truth. Nor would he allow himself to be entangled with what compromised the truth. But he serves in grace. He serves in truth. Because the will of God for him to do so. It must have been grace. That enabled him to return to his duty among that people. He stands in between a sinning people and a holy God whom he had met with. And then not only is there the speaking and not only is there the serving. But you'll notice there's a staying in verse 11. Because while Moses returned to the camp. There's one there who remains. That's Joshua. This young man, we're told that he's just a young man. He departed not out of the tabernacle. It might be considered as a line that is insignificant to most. Yet it says a lot about to us about the sort of character that Joshua was. It teaches us something of his devotion. Before he takes over from Moses and leading the children of Israel, you know we learn here and there bits and pieces of his excellent qualities. In Exodus 17, we see there his prowess, his military expertise. In 24th chapter, there's his humility, spoken as the servant of Moses. And here in this chapter, we learn of his devotion to the only true and living God. Not only does he not, does he leave the defilement of the camp, but his devotion is unto God. For he abides in the holy place. After Moses leaves, he stands out from the rest. And he challenges us today. For Joshua can't get enough of God. He doesn't tire in being in God's presence. If I I can use today's parlance, he's not looking at the clock. I find God, I believe, of a congregation that doesn't mind me going a few minutes over the hour. I haven't kept you to one o'clock yet. Yet. But you know there's some people watch the clock. And Joshua here, he just stays. He can't get enough of the Lord. He's in the Lord's presence and he wants to stay there. Our devotion to God, men and women, can be measured by our stamina for the worship and the service of the Lord. He demonstrated his qualities for leadership in the future. And if you desire to serve the Lord well in the future, then you start by demonstrating great devotion to him now. I'm not just talking about public worship, by the way. It's getting into that quiet place. It's getting that door shut. It's getting before the book. It's speaking with God friend to friend. That's, that shows where you are, are with God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. May God know us to be a people who linger in His presence, who desire to meet with Him. Why? For in His presence there's fullness of joy. 
and our pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Not where we started. The world doesn't have joy today. It is sorrow. It is mourning because of sin. But in the Lord's presence, there's fullness of joy. Do you know him as Savior? You know, we're finalized. We're coming to an end just with that little thought of Joshua staying, lingering in the presence of the Lord in that tent. Can I lift that up into the spiritual? Christ stayed on that old Roman gibbet. Even though there was the calls of others to come down and we will believe thee. He stayed on that cross. Why? To pay the full penalty of your sin and of mine. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He came to serve, to seek and to save that which was lost. And dear loved one, if you're not saved this morning, you can be saved now and you can be in that talking ground with God. You can come into that sweet communion with the Lord to be on speaking terms with God today all because of Christ. You don't have to wait till Sunday night to get saved. You can get saved of a Sabbath morning. You can be in speaking terms with the Lord now because Christ has died. He's finished the work. He's ascended. And he's still the mighty to save at God's right hand to all that come unto him. I wonder, will you? I wonder, will you seek him even as your Savior this morning? May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts for his own name's sake. We'll sing 532. Let's just sing a couple of verses. Uh, we're beyond the hour, but... You'll sing a couple of verses. Above thine own ambitions here, another voice is sounding clear. It is the call of God to thee. O leave thy all and follow me. It's giving it all to the Lord. It's going through with God. We'll sing verses 1 and 4. 5, 3, 2. Let's just stand as we sing it.
Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We tell thee, Lord, it is a challenge to us. We thank the Lord for the actions of Moses in removing the tent outside the camp to meet with thee. Lord, we desire that our prayer life might be described just as his was. The Lord met with Moses face to face, as a friend to a friend. O God, we pray that we might be that close that will hear thy word, and will hear thy direction as Moses did as he turned back, even into the tent to serve the people. Yet Joshua stayed. Lord, make us like him too, to give our all to God, to, to love his presence, to want to be there. Speak on to those who are not saved. Oh God, we pray that they might be in praying ground before this day is out. That they might, Lord, know their sins forgiven. They might know Christ as their Savior. Answer prayer, part us with thy blessing. Bless us the rest of this Sabbath. Bring us and thy will back again tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.